Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. And good afternoon. This is News for the Heart. I'm very excited today because I have a special guest. Now, he is very well-renowned in uh, quantum physics, and he... He was part of one of my very favorite movies called What the Bleep Do We Know? And uh, I have to say, I probably watched it like 10 times because I just love the movie. Um, and, and half of those were at the theater. <laughs> so I really did love the movie. Um, I want you to welcome Amit Goswami. His new book is called The Everything Answer Book, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death and the Meaning of Life. Now, this is a huge book. It's not, it's not a lot of pages, but the concepts in it are very exciting because it, it just shows a totally different um, concept to what we see and what we know. And although I have been doing interviews now with physicist Tom Campbell for nine years, um, Amit's uh, theories are different than Tom's, so I'm excited to interview you, Amit. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> now, one of the things that I liked is you, you really align with Carl Jung, and I thought it was fascinating that one of the reasons you did, um, you're looking at your dreams, and so we, that's one of the areas that we're going to possibly touch on. There's a lot to touch on today, if we can get it all in. But I love that you had a dream about the Tibetan Book of, of the Dead, and that that helped you look into reincarnation. Um, and as well as I think you were already looking at your dreams at that point, but you really have found the way to uh, paving the way to bridging science and spirituality with consciousness. So I love that you've really combined a lot in a very small book, but that you talk about so much and it's so big. So it's very exciting to have you on. So let's just like dive into this. So I guess the big thing that you bring in is that science was mostly on the mechanics and the materialisms. And when you brought into uh, quantum physics, you really explored the spirituality aspect or the, you know, the other. And so let's just, let's just chat about that and how that sort of came to be. But I mean, because when you started, you were a scientist. So you were really much into, you know, the materialism, the physical world and physical health and all of that. And then when you when you went beyond it, because that was the way we had to go. And it's the only way to explain certain things. You know, it brought in a whole new, a whole new genre and a whole new um, explanation to a lot of different things. Yes, you are totally right. Uh, for me, what happened was that you know I was having a early midlife transition. You might say I was thirty-seven and very unhappy with my life. And the principal source of unhappiness was that more and more I was realizing that the physics that I was doing uh, has nothing to do with how I live. 
And I also realized that the bulk of the worldview that we have created based on science, basically science took over the academy, the higher education, the entire culture, starting about the 1980s, just when Ronald Reagan was coming into power and the country was changing its value system anyway. So all this was taking place, and, and um, uh, uh, right around that time, a little bit before then, uh, my awakening took place, which was that, is there any way of combining um, life and livelihood, the two major components of our life? Um, and so that started the journey, but it was very tough because my belief system, uh, like all scientific materialist people who believe that matter is everything, and that's most scientists even today, uh, 30 years, 40 years later, um, I was like that too. And so very constricted in mindset, um, but several things happened. Among them, a new marriage, new love. Uh, love is a very good purifier. And then new science. Uh, I, uh, of course, uh, every physicist has to learn quantum physics. So I knew that, but I never asked the meaning questions. And then, you know, uh, as soon as you ask the meaning question of quantum physics, you get very puzzled. How can this be? Because from the get-go, quantum physics says something very strange. Objects are not things, but they are potentialities. They are possibility waves. What does that mean? So if you, once you ask this question, you are hooked. Because what it means is an astounding thing. And from the beginning, it has been clear. People are just refusing to see it. And I too, of course, you know, I just accepted my professor's verdict that if you get into it, you'll never get out of it. That's a blind alley. Many, many people have suffered. Don't take that route. Learn to calculate and make your career. So that's what I did. But it made me unhappy. So now to trace the path back to happiness, I started looking at the meaning question. Immediately it became clear to me, ah, but these waves, where do they reside? They cannot reside in space and time. People have known that because uh, there is this problem of uh, their possibility. So possibilities cannot exist in space and time as manifest objects. So they must uh, reside in a domain uh, which people conveniently call domain of potentiality, but nobody believed it because how, what is the criterion? How do we know that there is such a domain? And then this realization came that this domain, through this domain, we can communicate instantly. And that uh, then became a subject of, uh, can we verify this experimentally? Finally, in 1982, uh, Alain Aspey in France and his collaborators verified that. After that, you know, we had no choice because what does it mean to have instant communication between two objects? Two objects are not separate anymore, they are one, because only if you are yourself, you can communicate instantly. So oneness, mystical concept. I was so astounded, how can mysticism come back into physics? <laughs> but nevertheless, if it is true, then mystics uh, probably are the clue. So I started talking with mystics, and in one of these conversations, I realized what my blinder was. It's to recognize that matter is the building block of everything. That was what, is, what was stopping me. So in a moment of huge enlightenment, I realized that no, consciousness is the ground of all being. And if I made that one new hypothesis, that changes everything, solves every meaning problem of quantum physics, all paradoxes are resolved, and 
we uh, usher a new worldview which integrates science and spirituality. So that's my story. <laughs> it's a great story. I love it. Now, you even mentioned it in your book when you talk about possibilities. I mean, it makes everybody think of the secret, right? Possibilities mm-hmm. and how to manifest possibilities, how to bring those potent- into the potentiality and into the now. And one of the things I've always discussed and always believed is, you know, yes, there the law of attraction is involved in life, but if our purpose is to increase consciousness, if our purpose is to bring in, as you say, the archetypes or the archetypal values, which I guess really is what it is, which is love and truth and justice and beauty and goodness and abundance and wholeness. I mean, these are the things really that when you want to look at the secret or the law of attraction, to me, that's our purpose. That's what we need to be building on. That's the things that if we look at those values and learn as Tom would say, to, you know, lower entropy, that that's the thing that allows us to evolve, to grow. And that's when we can really see the law of attraction in, in process. Because if all we're doing is looking outside of ourselves and wanting to bring in the material, then we're kind of back stuck in, in how does that, you know, how does that come together? Yes, I mean, you were, you were hitting the problem right there. What happens with, with the material style of living is that we live by causes and we let ourselves be drifted along because various causes act upon us and we just respond to them. We become a reactive kind of life. How can you change that to a positive life while you take proactive stance? Because the, the, the thing is that when we are conditioned, uh, socially conditioned, culturally conditioned, uh, conditioned by our instincts in that kind of uh, condition that we are given, we are really hopelessly reacting to stimuli of various kinds and that's our life. How to change that to a positive proactive stand, uh, you have to discover uh, something different, something, some other cause that you have to access, but this cause is not accessible very easily. So the way to do it is to change our modus operandi from cause-driven to a something that is unique to human. We can also driven by a purpose. For example, my purpose was to unite, integrate life and livelihood. That gives a purpose. And that purpose eventually propelled me to discover the new source of cause, which is freedom to choose creativity instead of suffering. And... Um, this kind of thing is what you are talking about. How we do is to explore these archetypes, then immediately we discover the attractor principles. These archetypes are attracted to us. We really don't have to do very much. We just open our heart to them and they come. Mm-hmm. And they come and they come selectively. I have my own special archetype. That's the one that I'm going to be most attracted to. That's the one that is most attracted to me. And, and then we just follow that. That archetype, and uh, as Joseph Campbell said, follow our bliss. That's our bliss. That's our happiness. That's our source of happiness. Right. And so that's another aspect that is that you've already mentioned that is very important, and how you know these archetypal values correlate with the chakra systems. Now we 
on this station know a lot about the chakras, but the way you've kind of created them. So I guess before we go there, we should probably look at the different, um, the fact that there are the four different ways of, of looking at the world. So there's the physical, the mental, um, the emotional, the feeling, the, or the vital. I guess you call it vital. So the physical, mm-hmm. the vital, the mental, and the s- supramental, or the Superman. intuition. Archetypal, intuitional, yes. Yes. And so then we can then kind of look at how um, the chakra system, which has not just the organs which you've looked at, but you've also looked at the feelings. And so the feelings, which comes from the vital the vital energy. Can you kind of talk about that? Yes. So uh, feelings are a mystery um, from the material point of view. Um, where do feelings come from? So most materialists don't talk about feeling. They don't like to mm-hmm. talk about feeling. If they do, uh, they do in context of Darwin and evolution, which is sort of a basket, catch it all kind of basket. Whatever you cannot explain is because of evolution. Like in the olden days, whatever you cannot explain it because God does it. So, right. um, so that is the situation we are in about feelings if you follow that kind of uh, philosophy, which I did. And therefore, you know, I excluded feelings from my life because they're a nuisance. Now, men do that, you know. Um, I mean, women know that too. And um, this is a constant men-women struggle. Uh, women have more open heart, as they say, and... Men are dedicated to their brain and intellect, so causes a huge problem. So I had this problem with my, uh, you know, I, I got uh, divorced around the same time as my awakening. So my second wife, an American woman, very wonderful, yes. and she started demanding that uh, I get into feeling more. <laughs> and so uh, this challenge uh, created a huge, huge problem, you know, that eventually led to that dream that you referred to earlier, Tibetan Book of the Dead is correct, it's my job to uh, find the explanation. Um, so uh, that kind of thing, of course, led me to the idea of feeling, how to incorporate it in the science, and gave, eventually developed, I developed a theory of the chakras. So that's the that's the story. Um, the, but the feelings have to be discovered first in my being. So I still remember. I went to this workshop, you know, and, and a guy named Richard Moss was leading it. Oh, yes. And um, he does hands-on healing kind of stuff, uh, or hands-off really, because he was not touching anyone. And people are getting experiences, hugely ecstatic experiences, and I'm not getting any. Oh. So I complain, Richard, why aren't you giving me any experiences? What, you know, and you're giving everybody else. And he said, Amit, I can only open the door. You have to go through it. So I said, how do I go through the door? He said, you have too much you. You have to leave the you behind. And I said, but I want to be there when I discover it. And everybody laughed. I want to be there. <laughs> scientist. So I realized my mistake, and so I tried, and he gave a wonderful recipe. All the women in the workshop, and there were many, uh, he said, everybody just give Amit a hug. And I, I'm an Indian uh, from uh, a culture which, uh, you know, not a touchy culture, and this is touchy, uh, Philly, California culture. That was the workshop. Uh, everybody was giving me these hugs, and uh, feelings started entering me. Just 
torrent of feeling. So that kind of experience also helps. Today, I myself give workshops like that. And my recipe, I just borrow it from Richard. I'm sure he would be happy that I'm using his recipe, which is that if a person is really get into his intellect, men usually, I say that women hug him. It really works. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so that's the vital body. So there's the mental, which we're pretty, pretty well aware of. I think most of us, I, you know, whether we're men or women, I think, because the intellect has been so um, prominent, and it's not only that, the quantum physics has an explanation of it, the neocortex, which gives us the self uh, also is the place where we uh, make memories of the mental thoughts. You see, so uh, we cannot have an experience of the self, I, without thinking. This is why all our experiences, sensing, feeling, intuition, everything comes associated with something that we think about. You um, look at your experiences, you will never find an experience of things in isolation. Sensing, feeling, intuiting, they're all associated with the thought that arises simultaneously. And it is that that makes the mind so enticing. We, we, even Descartes said, you know, that famous, uh, I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. We cannot blame Descartes entirely. That's the appearance anyway. And then you have to sort of go with your subtle intelligence and sort of probe underneath that, okay, is this thought the same every time or are thoughts different? Then we discover some thoughts have more energy, therefore they are emotional thoughts. Some thoughts have more truth value, they are intuitive thoughts. Some thoughts are more physically oriented, they are sensory thoughts. And then there are also rational thinking, which is the thought thinking about itself. So these four distinctions are very important. And when we do that, then we discover that we really have four kinds of experiences. Now, you mention intuition in your book comes from your gut. I, I, have the, I have the belief that the gut is definitely that more, um, the intuition is more based on safety and, and stuff. And for me, and I don't know if it's just me or not, but to me, my intuition comes from my heart. But maybe that's because I'm a woman and right. we... <laughs> Uh, what I what I needed to say, what I um, I think I did actually. I usually am pretty careful about it. Mm. But you may be right. the men feel it in the gut. Women feel it in the heart. Okay. The reason is that the men have uh, the way we grow up. I mean, you know, I can uh, speak for myself here, being a man. The way we grow up, we never um, take care of the other when we grow up. I constantly remember my mother would always say. Oh, take care of Amit, my sister. I have the elder sister who is two years older. But she's always taking care of me, or another older sister, or another older sister. I had three of them. <laughs> so I was constantly taking care of. And women, on the other hand, the girls, you know, nobody takes care of them. So what happens is that the women neglect their navel chakra, where is why we take care of ourselves, uh, but they develop their heart. And whereas men, just the opposite. They are, they grow up uh, taking care of numero uno themselves. They become a little more narcissistic and uh, they completely ignore this other love. And that's how the male-female division, at least a substantial part of it, is created, male-female difference. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I must have missed that because I, I, I would have remembered. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that's good. Thank you. I'm I'm glad I brought it up because it, that's. I think it's it's very important. I think you're right in that that whole third chakra. Even though it has more, you know, feeling, um, yeah, feeling good about yourself. That that part of us that you know is. I mean, we're all ego-driven regardless, but that part of us that, you know, Getting has the confidence and, and... Yeah, we made some changes in the 60s, you uh, and then, then now we take, a, take the equipment's leave for granted. But, you know, before the 60s, even all over the world, even in America, they were very dependent on men. Yeah. And um, they had that basic insecurity. Now it is gone largely, um, so that is a very good thing. But even now, you know, we American women are sort of divided uh, half and half. You know, the, uh, the, there is a segment of women, generally uh, more associated with Republicans, um, who do consider it a virtue to be a dependent woman, woman who is taken care of. Uh, that is, if that becomes a virtue, then you develop that kind of dependence. No. And that kind of dependence leads you eventually to some very dangerous traps about health. For example, you depend on a man and that man dies somehow. And then what do you do? You grieve and grieve because how can I love without this man, without my man, right? But if you do that, then you neglect your immune system. And immune system is the basis of the romantic love that we feel at the heart chakra. And if the immune system is neglected for very long, like many bereaved women tend to do, uh, we can even develop immune system malfunction and that can give us heart disease, that can give us cancer, that can give us autoimmune disease. So it's a very dangerous trap for women to fall into it. I'm convinced that uh, the reason that many women are having breast cancer today, this breast cancer epidemic practically, is much of it is due to immune system malfunctioning and much of that is due to the fact that women love too much and they they have a huge problem with loving too much. Many women, I mean, of course, not not everyone. You have to understand that we have to also love ourselves. And then there is a balance between the heart chakra and the navel chakra. And this balance is very important, self-respect and other love. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that you brought up around um, wholeness. Um, looking at, you know, not just obviously the physical symptoms, because that is what the allopathic medicine does, but to actually look at, you know, the correlation with the chakras, with, um, you know, how we, you know, I guess, even maybe the different archetypes that we kind of resonate with, the ones that are part of our purpose, that, you know, that we look at that and how we, in our health and I just I found it really fascinating because it's it's a different way of looking at the world and it it's um, as much as you know I've studied the chakras it, it put it in a new perspective because it wasn't something that I really thought about but that you know certainly I've always known disease or disease doesn't come you know doesn't come physically first it, it's kind of a last thing but the way you explained it was really fascinating. Yeah, because the, the point is that if we if we uh, recognize that the disease uh, don't always come from physical sources, like you know, it, it, there can be a 
uh, germ, certainly. And then yes. uh, we have to use antibiotics to kill off the germ, no doubt about it. So there are some physical diseases, which is purely physical causes. But the diseases that we get mainly, for example, in the middle and old age, those diseases are um, vital energy block diseases. And that's what I was talking about. And these, these are all chronic diseases. Heart disease, uh, autoimmune disease, cancer, these are all chronic disease. And this chronic disease, this is where the vital energies are blocked. Vital energies are blocked because we mental construction of the meaning of the vital is blocked by the wrong mental construction. For example, in the case I gave, breast cancer and women, women grieve too much. And that grieving is a mental construct. It's a social constraint. It used to be that women were not even allowed to get married before one year lapses between the husband's death and mm -hmm. the new husband. So this kind of rule that society imposed, still its shadow lingers on uh, women of our society, especially in certain cultures like Indian culture. And people are getting uh, breast cancer because their actions are affecting the immune system, make it uh, ineffective. Uh, and the immune system is what kills off the abnormal cells in our body and saves us from cancer. So this source of cancer cannot be ignored. And the more aware we become, the more we realize that uh, there are many ways to get love. And we don't, we never need to banish it from our life. Never. The problem is, <clears throat> is our definition of love. And usually it's, you know, it, usually it has a lot of childhood uh, triggers that come from and what we define love as. You know, a lot of women think love is being abused or being abandoned. And then, you know, then I love how you talk about, you know, there's the sexual part of love and that romantic part of love, but that the only way to bring it into the unconditional love, which is really the value that the core value that we look at is by, you know, going past the physical aspect of love. And, and really we need to heal so much around love and especially yeah. women, but men too. I mean, especially if they're not in their hearts. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting balance that we need to come through, but to the commitment is the way, and, you know, a lot of people will get married. That doesn't mean that they're committed, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. I, I, I myself had to learn that, you know. So, so absolutely, you're quite right. And the, we need some social shifts of the more of the society. That is true. But having said that, though, um, it is also true that it is not very um, difficult once you recognize where the difficulty lies. The difficulty lies in the fact that we forget that our brain <clears throat> gives certain molecules and these molecules are very addictive. Um, these molecules come from our sexuality and they're good. I mean, dopamine and then there is another one, endorphin, which comes with sexual orgasm. <clears throat> but the problem is that anything that the brain is involved with gets habituated. <laughs> After a while, they, these molecules are not um, emitted or uh, and get into the action as profused as they used to. So we run out of romantic love sooner or later. It could be six weeks for the legendary character James Bond, or it could be six years for somebody like you and me. 
Okay, but still that's a limited amount of time and then we have this committed relationship. What do we do with it? That's where we have to understand these archetypes and get into purpose. And then if we recognize that love is everybody's archetype, we have to have the, that as our, one of our purpose that we want to discover how to love this person anyway. Because I already like her. I already like him. So the first part of love, liking, that is already there because I have lived so many months, two years with this person. How can I not like? So if the liking is there, then the, then the challenge is, okay, then how do I get back that romantic feeling that this person is me, part of me, that I respect, that I cherish, that I will never um, let be a, uh, apart from me except for uh, death this kind of marriage vow that we take, how to take that seriously till, till death do us part. We own part, you know, that's the vow we take or in sickness and in health, that's the vow we take. Beautiful vow. But how do we keep true to that? So that begins the journey of exploration of the archetype of love. Archetype of love is as unconditioned love, not dependent on sexuality, not dependent on external circumstances, that I won't quit even if the other person is going through some difficulties, this kind of love. So um, uh, how can that journey happen? This is, you know, a major part of my book, uh, how to explore love that way, archetypally, um, unconditionally. And the secret of that is that the relationships that we ordinarily have are simple hierarchical. You know, you and I are having a talk uh, with, with each other, which is a good way to exemplify it. We could, we could take the view that, um, I could take the view that I'm the speaker, the important person, you need me more than I need you, kind of way, and then I objectify you. And you could likewise say that, well, you are the host of the radio show, you invited me, therefore I got this opportunity to present myself, so you are the head honcho. So you could treat each other both as I'm the head honcho, you were just, uh, you know, secondary to me. Without me, you could not exist. But without you, sure, I could exist. That kind of view. It's called the simple hierarchical relationship. But we can also treat each other respectfully like we are actually doing. Uh, we can listen to each other. Your questions guide my answers. Um, and your answers guide my uh, answers further. And I even ask sometimes questions. So it's a mix-up of both of us. That's what is generating. We are creating each other. This creating each other is a way we call tangled hierarchical relationship. And that's really the secret. How to live tangled hierarchically with another person, where I really respect the other, never objectify the other, and true that I have to give up some of, some of that pleasure-centeredness, some of that me-centeredness because of it. But it's every ounce of it worth it. The more we give up the me-centeredness, the more we discover the love for the other, the better and more happy I become. So it's a wonderful journey. I invite every listener uh, to, to it. I myself have gone through it. And I tell you, this is the most happy thing that I've ever done in my life. Hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, and then it, again, it's because you want to grow up. I mean, it's because, and that's, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there still that, and I, I know it's changing, but there are still a lot of people out there that, you know, it's very me-centered, very, you know, what can you do for me? And how can we, you know, how do we shift from that? I mean, one, 
you talk about, I mean, I, I guess I will simplify it in how I see things, but I always see the spectrum. On one side, we have fear, and on the other side, we have love. And, you know, we only get to grow up by eliminating some of those triggers. And that's the interesting thing that I love about the way you talk about reincarnation, how the karma, usually we pick you know, maybe five major. I like that you, you know, what did you call it? It was a, uh, the poker karma <laughs> where you, you take certain, um, certain life lessons that you want to bring into this life. So those would be kind of the core things that we look at. And those would be really our core fears that, you know, can obstruct us from reaching the goal, which is love, or it can, it can allow us to move through it. And so that's kind of, that's how I see your book is, you know, that activism part, that part of how we move, to, you know, to the quantum activist of, you know, really looking at um, the things that sort of block us, the things that so that we can really move in towards the goal of growing up. Yes, precisely. I, I'm, I'm glad that you are using that word growing up. This personal growth is a very crucial word to use for the transformative journey that we undertake. The first thing, Laurie, is really to realize that we live in a cocoon of our own creation. And if that cocoon was fairly satisfactory, um, then we get enticed to live that forever. But what happens, as I said, the brain by nature, it gets uh, habituated with old stimuli. So the nature of a pleasure-pain life that we ordinarily live, where we don't do anything to creatively investigate any of these archetypes or wait for that attractor principle to come into our life, the, uh, we can choose that, certainly, and, and most people do choose that. But the trap of that is that sooner or later, we find that we are not getting enough pleasure. And then these pleasure circuits are not satisfied in the brain, and there is a circuit which also produces an effect which is called addiction. This addiction to pleasure can really become a problem and that we seek the pleasure from outside, from molecules. And those molecules are, of course, called drugs. And then we get into this very uh, bad uh, habits of, that we call drug habits. And so pleasure leads us to that. And this is the danger. So as a society, we become, have to become very aware that the human condition, if it were left alone, if it just stays that way, that's one thing. But it doesn't. There are negative emotions that get out of hand, like violence and uh, domination. So that's one path we take. People become so power-oriented, so domination-oriented, that they start uh, violent behavior uh, to get uh, domination, any price we pay, even killing another person, or we get into pleasure-centeredness where we get into drug habits. In other words, that there is no equilibrium in that kind of automatic human condition state that we are born with. You cannot stay there. I mean, you, you eventually fall into either this way or that way, some trap, and that will make you superbly unhappy. To avoid that is to uh, investigate meaning and purpose in life, like we are talking, and that is what quantum activism We use quantum physics actively to change myself, and then actively also to change the society, because the more I change myself, I realize I'm connected with the society, I'm connected with every human being with this oneness, 
and therefore it's my prerogative to make my environment also to grow up and that process is the process of social transformation. So we grow up personal transformation, we also grow the society as we grow up, giving the society the advantage for the benefit of my growing up. That is the process that quantum worldview is encouraging us to embrace. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, it's really beautiful and it's really important. And I think, you know, as we begin to go through this journey and, you know, the purpose we all kind of, we all kind of, when we're younger, think, well, what is our purpose? And, you know, we want to, you know, our purpose becomes our career or what we teach. And I love that you, you know, that when you first went into science, um, so if you look at the, um, the way you looked at profession and the, the archetypes, you, you know, you kind of combine them. So science would be about truth, but then you realize that it was more than that, that you were to move into wholeness. So that's why you brought in the quantum physics aspect so that you could see the wholeness and the oneness. And I, I think that that's really a fascinating way of looking at, you know, the archetypes and how we can, you know, I guess, again, look at what our purpose is and is it to grow up or is it, you know, are we too focused on how it will affect me, which again, then when we look at love and other, I mean, it's really about, it's not about me. It's how can I serve others? How can, what, what is best for what I do? Like with the love that I have within me, with the purposes that I've been given, what, can I best, you know, offer the world? And I think, you know, we get caught up a lot of times with maybe in the reincarnation aspect of those, you know, those five kind of core fears or beliefs or values that sort of block us. And so we start on one path, but that may not have been what initially drew us into it anyway. It may have been for healing, for wholeness, but we kind of get caught up. Yeah, we we, we, we do. You know, um, my favorite poet, Rabindranath Tagore, um, the Nobel Prize winner a long time ago, um, who wrote a beautiful poem. It starts with, I, I dreamt and saw that life was joy. Um, uh, second line is, okay, this is the dreaming state that we are all in. And we think life is just pleasure and it's just joyful, pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. Okay, but I'm really dreaming because that's not what life is about. So then the second line is, I woke and found that life is service. Uh, what that means is that, well, okay, so I woke and find that now I have to make a living. It's not just uh, hunting for pleasures. And this living detached from the archetypes, of course, uh, becomes service, but joyless service. I don't get any pleasure from it. It's just a chore. I make money doing it. And um, that money I spend for pleasure, like before. But of course, much of my life is uh, driven to just make this money so that I can have more pleasure from the money. So it becomes a struggle. So life is very dull at that point. And then uh, uh, the third line is beautiful. Third line is I serve. I serve and discovered that service is joy. To discover that service is joy, we have to discover the archetype that I'm serving. 
In other words, if the surface does not match the archetype of my purpose that I have chosen from my past lives, this is where reincarnation comes in, this is where karma comes in, that five cards that we choose, they are a hint for what I came to serve. When the surface that I'm doing matches my archetype, matches my purpose, then I discover that, oh, service is joy. But if it doesn't match, then, of course, service is just service, it's doubt, it's drudgery. So that's the difference. This is why it's so important for people to wake up to the archetype that they have chosen. It can be love. For me, it was wholeness. Wholeness was a crucial archetype. And then I have to combine love and truth to get to wholeness and, mm -hmm. and beyond. So that was my path. And as soon as I discovered that wholeness is required, I have to combine these archetypes that I'm already uh, searching for, namely love and truth. Uh, then things become, became much better and eventually it just became that service is joy. Today I serve the world, I travel a lot at my age, and, and I do it delightfully, joyfully. So that's just such a wonderful change. I want to invite everyone. It's available for everyone. Yeah. Now it's it's a it's a wonderful concept, and I think um, I think a lot of people can relate to it. Certainly, um, they certainly relate to the one aspect of of why it's a struggle. So I think mm -hmm. once you get to that point where you say, "Okay, this is just a struggle. How can I make it?" you know, how can I make it joyful? Then that's where you can really dive in and look at the different areas, which I think, you know, is lovely. So we've kind of really talked about the purpose. We haven't talked a lot about the ego. I mean, we've talked about thoughts and stuff. Do you want to kind of bring in from the ego consciousness to the quantum self or the oneness? Mm -hmm. Maybe. So the, ego, the, the, the ego has two aspects. One aspect is something that we need. For example, a baby needs toilet training, right? So that's an aspect we cannot avoid. Learning how to tackle, how to deal with the various problems that life presents. So we develop this repertoire, how to respond to those problems. We also develop a second kind of repertoire too. We learn new things that, that people do. Uh, today we are too much oriented towards making a living. So that's kind of wrong construction. Uh, unfortunately, it is there, but we can also take the additional view that um, we should really explore these archetypes and the sooner we can get into the child's education, the better it is. That's what we are aiming for. So that's another kind of expertise that we pick up and this expertise together, uh, they uh, define the character of the ego. For example, I can have a scientific character where I have learned a lot of mathematical ability, a lot of uh, scientific reasoning ability, a lot of creative ability. Um, that's my character. Another person can be a musical person, another person can be an artistic person, another can, person can be politician, and we can all do these things in the service of an archetype. So that's, that's one way to build a very archetypally oriented society. But that is still you are talking about ego's character. This is an essential part of the ego. So this part we preserve, this part we value, this part we honor. And uh, from ancient times, you have been aware of it. You know, Julius Caesar's famous story, the crossing the Rubicon River. Yes. Um, it's his honor. So he has to preserve his honor. Uh, honor is at stake, and I'll do it even though it's violating a sacrosanct rule. 
So that kind of thing. Um, but then there is another aspect of the ego, which is the problem aspect. And the more we become aware uh, that is, it is creating problem, the more we can become keen on uh, how to change it. And this, this part of the ego is called persona. Persona uh, develops because we uh, have the ability of conscious, for being conscious before. We see a stimulus and we are conscious of it, but then automatically in the brain is built up the idea that I can memorize the stimulus and then I can memorize my response and I can rem uh, remember it again and again to reinforce that response. That's how we make short-term memories. And then these short-term memories, who reconstruct them again and again by thinking of them again and again and making a self-image of it. So the memories that we remember are not authentic memories anymore. They are reconstructed again and again to fit my self-image. In this way, I develop a self-image which is not even true, which is false. We have image of being this great lover. We have this image of being this faithful husband. We have this image of being this person who is never perturbed in any kind of adverse situation, you know, the tough iron men. And similarly, we have these women who were so loving, you know. So these images become us and we don't even deliver. We can't because we're not there yet. It's just a false image that I've created because it, it serves my momentary purpose better. Like I want to please somebody. This pleasing mind is that persona is that inauthenticity that has, has entered my character. So uh, this inauthenticity, if we shed, uh, that would be a very good thing, because then I would have an, the authentic character elements, but not this inauthenticity that enters in how I express my character. Usually I suppress some of the aspects and become more than I am, or I pretend that I have something uh, uh, which I don't have. So this pretension and inauthenticity, they harm our access to that unity consciousness, which we all covet. That opening does not take place anymore. You know, I could mention many names. I mean, you would recognize narcissistic people who abuse, who lie, who... Uh, this inauthentic personality creates not only problem for me, but problem for others constantly. And I'm not even aware of it. So all this is you know, what keeps people from being happy. Mm -hmm. If we shed this, then it can become a play with the quantum self, the unity consciousness, and then the life becomes a flow between the ego and the quantum self, the inner self, the deeper self, where our joy and uh, unity lies. And that's what we really covet. If we could have that, that is called life in flow. Uh, you know, the flow experience that um, athletes so much talk about and we enjoy athletes, of course, looking at them, enjoying their flow. But imagine, we all are entitled to it. Athletes have an access to a physical flow, which is automatic, if you could engage in those things. But uh, unfortunately, society allows those kinds of engagement only if you are a gifted athlete. Uh, ordinary people don't, don't get to participate in uh, sports in that way. I mean, you do sometimes, if you are privileged, you can play a lot of golf. <laughs> but, you know, usually our lives are not so great. Uh, much of it is taken up by our professional pursuits. And then the question is, how do I become, make the professional pursuit a matter of flow? And this is where we have to take up this seriousness, this pursuing the archetype, 
pursuing them creatively, shed my personality and devoted to character and the unity consciousness. And that's the flow of creativity. Then we can enjoy that, what athletes enjoy in our regular life. They enjoy it on the floor of the uh, basketball court or the tennis court or golf uh, grounds. And we can enjoy it in our entire life. So it's really a beautiful journey if we only wake up to it. Yes, exactly. So your book talks about our choices. And, you know, I often think, you know, our choice, our biggest choice is really, you know, do we allow our fears to to control us or do we allow, you know, can we move into a place of love and that's kind of what I see my choice. But then you bring in God's will and it, I don't know, it's an interesting, there's a, there's some, there's a lot of interesting discussion around free will and God's will and our choices. And I, I, you know, I'd like to bring up a little bit of it. I know we're, we're never going to get through all the things I want to talk about. (laughs) It's a good topic. Yeah. It's a good topic, Laurie. So as I was saying, once we when we discover the flow, then what is the flow? As I said, it's the flow between unity consciousness where our inspiration and ideas come from, and then the ego has to respond with the character, which has the ability to make representation of these ideas. So you see, the representation could be a novel, could be a piece of science, could be myself uh, living happily. Uh, But uh, this is the interplay. The ego has the expertise to represent the idea and uh, quantum self, unity consciousness is the source of the new idea that will change me or produce this product for me. Um, So this is the play that I have to get into. And how do I get into it is then the issue. And how to get into it is what we are talking about now. So if we succumb to fear, then, of course, I'm not getting into it. I'm too afraid, right? right. So fear is, is the biggest impediment to creativity or yes. love, which is, again, cannot be approached without creativity. So uh, then it becomes a question of, okay, so you have to become familiar with these with this feelings of inadequacy, feelings of fear, where the fear arises from, lack of self-love, As we become aware of these chakras, we can take them quite seriously. Another way to get into it is uh, dream. We'll Mm -hmm. talk about dream very briefly in the beginning. So dreams are, again, gives us a hint of, okay, what is fear doing to you? What is it keeping you from? And then we look at it, and we find that, well, we have developed some habit patterns which has to be cleaned up. So for me, it was like at one point of my life, uh, I was dreaming all these uh, uh, dreams of latrines, lavatories, uh, always excretion of some kind. And after a while, it became clear to me, ah, so the dreams are telling me to clean up my garbage that I have inside my body, inside my mind, inside my feelings, inside my chakras that are blocking me from... Um, and that blocking is what is giving rise to fear, fear of new life, fear of love, fear of um, exploring the archetypes. So I started cleaning my act up, you know, which we, to use the four-letter word, cleaning up my shit. (laughs) So uh, we had to do that. I had to do that. 
and some of us have to go through this kind of process. So dreams are good, uh, getting into chakras is good. Uh, there are a lot of ways to approach it. Energy psychology is another new field that is coming up and uh, they just heal. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, childhood problems with love because of these traumas that we suffer um, that is associated with abandonment and all that. So those things have to be cleared up. And energy psychology is this psychology of how to remove these blocks, energy blocks. So that is now coming to be a major help. You can just go to energy psychologist and it's almost miraculous how they can get rid of these fears that we have about various things. It's not just about phobia. That, of course, they can heal. But they can also heal, you know, fear of abandonment. That's a major one. You know, I myself had suffered uh, through it. So I know how hard it is to overcome it. But energy psychologists today um, can help you overcome it in a just matter of a few sessions. So uh, people should take advantage of this uh, quantum uh, view. Worldview is changing the world gradually. Energy psychology is one of those things which quantum worldview is helping enormously to develop properly. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so... We definitely touched on reincarnation. I think it's a great, um, it's a great concept to look at, and I, I love that you know science is kind of confirming it. And I think you know by the way we look at, it, and you know, you talked about near death experiences and how um, it kind of helps you see that bigger picture and the future. And it, it's just it's a fascinating look at. Um, confirming kind of what a lot of mystics have been talking about, about, you know, that we do come back and there's a reason we come back and it's to grow up. <laughs> yes. Yes. The growing up would be very difficult if we had only one life to live. Wouldn't it For be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to have several chances, you know. Yeah, so this is very good. This is this is uh, this is makes me very grateful to how the world was. Uh, you know, um, it's not exactly designed with fixed rules, but there are some uh, basic aspects that were put into it, and reincarnation is one of them. And I'm glad that uh, that the laws of the universe and the purposiveness of the universe fix a scheme where it just doesn't tell with only one attempt you get. Oh my God, even in this life, uh, everything that I have learned, uh, almost everything required several attempts. And then these biggies, you know, learning about love, for example. I hope you have seen the movie, delightful movie, by the way, called The Groundhog Day. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this hero is looking for love, so you know exactly what he had to go through. You know, the past yeah. few lives, you know, you have not a, not a clue about how to go about love. And then only gradually it dawned on him, ah, he has to give up his cocoon of his self-centeredness. And that, that's how he started getting a glimpse of what love is about. And one day he discovers it and he doesn't suffer from this recurring life anymore. And that's what we, all of us do. We have, going to have to go through this recurring life where we are looking at the same things over and over again. It doesn't come. It's always the same problems. And then we begin to get an inkling with the help of these archetypes and their attraction to us. And gradually we, we pull ourselves up from the swamp of that uh, existence. Yeah. To where 
I'll just segue into the last segment just because I, I like that you brought it up, which the whole enlightenment thing. We all think that, um, I don't know, it's like it's our end goal, but we don't realize that there's so many degrees of enlightenment and it's not an end goal. <laughs> Even when you get there, you're still growing. We're still going to grow. I mean, if God's still growing or the universe is still growing, why do you think we're going to just stop once we become enlightened? <laughs> exactly my thought. So my, 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 my policy is to stay in the world and serve the world and why get out of the system. I know the ancient people favored going out of the system. They called it liberation. But you can be enlightened without liberation. And that's my preference. I call it quantum enlightenment. Nice. Live, live in the world, but, but be happy. Be totally happy. There's no reason to accept any unhappiness whatsoever. And you can be that and still serve the world. Hmm. Yes. And there's many ways of getting there. And this book, the Everything Answer book, offers a lot of great tools and a lot of great concepts to contemplate and look over and I'm you know it was such a delight to interview you Amit uh, it just this has been a very big joy for me just to share concepts with you and to have read your book and and to enjoy it in a way that allowed me to be open to this interview and and because uh, let's face it I am not a science person <laughs> <laughs> It's good that you are not, because if you are a science person, there is always the danger of getting into something very intellectual, which is very enticing, you know. Sure. This way, we, we shifted from topics to topics, and the listener is getting an idea of this smorgasbord board of things, problems that face our growing up. And I think you have dealt wonderfully with all the relevant questions, and I hope that the listeners will take the lesson and realize that it is completely in your power, everybody's power, to capture this kind of exalted happiness in our lives that we call enlightenment. Nice. Well, thank you very much. Uh, again, love love the book. Please go out. Just take it. It's it's. <laughs> we may have talked about a lot of different things, but it's not really that big. <laughs> it just it has a <laughs> lot of density into it. So it's called the Everything Answer Book: How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. You have been listening to News for the Heart. We've been getting to the heart of what matters, and we've been talking with Amit Goswami, who is my favorite person on uh, What the Bleep. So thank you for thank you for this lovely interview, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Have a question for Lori and want to be on the next News from the Heart show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. News from the Heart is brought to you by Intuitive Soul and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org. 